Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I don't know how you stay focused when that beat drops. <laughs> what can I say? I'm locked in. I'm a professional. <laughs> Every time it drops, I'm so pumped. Dom is so excited. Dom's the most excited. He <laughs> loves it. He loves all the beat drops in it's our music. music. That's your music. That's right. <laughs> uh, now joining us, covering uh, the St. Louis Blues here to chat a little bit about the uh, Blues matchup with the Canucks tomorrow from The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford. Jeremy, thank you for doing this. Thanks for making time for us. How are you? Gentlemen and Thomas. <laughs> I'm kidding, Thomas. <laughs> JR, come on. How are you, bud? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. It's our pleasure. We're doing well. I mean, I'm it's... roasted by the nicest guy in the industry to start to start the program. Love that. That is my favorite thing about having your athletic colleagues on. Is almost universally they roast you before we get going uh, into it, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, no, we're doing great. We're having a lot of fun covering this uh, this Canucks season. They pick up another one against the Blackhawks last night, and. You know, it's kind of funny. Last uh, last regulation loss for the Canucks was at the hands of the blue at the Blues on the first game of that seven game road trip for the Canucks. And you know, I know there's been the coaching change, and it's been a bit of an up and down season. Where's the Blues game at right now in your eyes? It's absolutely five hundred. Absolutely, it's uh, twenty two, twenty and two, and and that's basically what what if you made a poster of the Blues season, that's what it is. And yeah, you know, I guess interestingly. Uh, you just mentioned that Blues win over the Canucks. Uh, there have been a few of those over some elite teams, and uh, but then we've seen some losses to the San Jose's and the Columbus's and the Chicago's. So it's been a mixed bag. It led to the coaching change. I think there was definitely an uptick uh, in the Blues after the coaching change. You always expect that bump. You know, I think the honeymoon period is over. I think we've seen the team slip back into some old habits at times. Uh, but then they had a game the other night against Washington Capitals where you could check every box with the things that they did well. So uh, it's just been an inconsistent year. Uh, but I think that uh, you're getting a team uh, tomorrow night. They play tonight in Calgary, so you got a game in between here. But you got a team coming into uh, Vancouver that uh, played pretty well a couple nights ago. Jar, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because we know that Craig Berube, who you covered for a long time in St. Louis, including on that run to the that miracle run to win the cup um and and rick talkett are are close friends um share a lot of notes and one thing I, i'm curious to ask you is this blues team under Barube really developed a reputation for holding on to pucks waiting for the the prime the the most prime possible scoring opportunity before shooting as opposed to leaning on possession i, I think they're second in the league and shooting percentage large sample over like a three or four year span here. Um, when you see the Canucks play, do you see something similar? Yeah, obviously the the, the two coaches uh, you touched on, uh, they talk all the time. In fact, I think, was it talk or was it uh, Barubi? One of them referenced that 
uh, Baruby's kind of given him a few scouting reports yeah. since he got let go by the Blues. And, and then Baruby the other night, he's in Philadelphia. He pops up, he's scouting for the Blues. So I'm trying to figure out which team he's helping. <laughs> no, I'm joking, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I guess there's some similarities for sure. Obviously, you got a ton of talent on that Vancouver team. Um, and I know it seems like it's taken forever uh, probably in Vancouver for it to all come together. But from the outside looking in, it's like, uh, man, People knew those pieces were going to be nice once they did come together, and, and it's looked uh, really pretty this year. Uh, in terms of the Blues and kind of the question you're asking, uh, yeah, Baruby was kind of a quality shot guy, but then once the Blues fell into a pattern of not shooting much, he wanted quantity, and, and so that was kind of the age-old argument here in St. Louis is, you know, so what are they going for? And, you know, I think it got to a point where, you know, they just wanted shots on net, um, but you know, look, uh, the two teams, they can both rush. And, yeah. and I think at least from the blues perspective, they can play on the four check too. It's just that the four check hasn't been consistent. It's like the team, the guys, you know, some nights they show up, some nights they don't. I'm sure it's around uh, that way around the league too. Uh, but I think when you're playing the blues as the Canucks will do tomorrow night, you kind of got to look out for both because the numbers show they're one of the better rush teams in the league. So um, I do think there's some similarities, and obviously that uh, stems from a lot of long, late nights between Tak and Barubi uh, drinking some beers, talking about the game, right? Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of uh, the, the personnel and the roster, what's the biggest issue kind of keeping the Blues in that 500 range and preventing them from climbing a little farther up the standings this year? Yeah, to me, uh, it boils down to this. I mean, we could talk for a while, but I think that it boils down to this that the Blues are just in a, a period where after 10-plus years of success, and it was just one Stanley Cup, yes, but from Ken Hitchcock uh, to Craig Berube, uh, they won a lot of games and were in mm-hmm. a lot of playoffs. And I think that whereas some teams, eventually they have to go into the rebuild, the Blues just kept retooling. Doug Armstrong, I think, is a master at developing a sub-core of players below your main core, and then brings them along. And he was able to do that from 2010-12 all the way till 2022. But at some point, especially if you make some questionable contract decisions, it's going to catch up to you. So to answer your question, I think the Blues are just in a period right now where the roster is not up to par. Uh, you know, Alex Petrangelo leaves, you bring in a Tory Krug, you promote a Colton Pareko, you have to bring in a Nick Letty, um, you know, up front, you lose uh, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, David Prawn, and now you've got guys, uh, Brandon Saad, um, you know, Braden Shen has been here. But, you know, it, it's just a different type of roster that I don't know meshes well together. And then when you add on top of it uh, that they don't show up together some nights, I think it makes it even more difficult to be uh, competitive. So how do, you know, you mentioned the the track record of Doug Armstrong and kind of building that subcore and then bringing them in as the other players either age out or move on. Is that the same process that he's going to try to do again, or is there going to be something, you know, more bold required to kind of get the Blues back to that those winning ways that you mentioned? Yeah, so it's a great question, but here's the difficulty with that. Before, when he had the core and then he had the subcore, let's just sit, go back far enough to say that the subcore was like the Tarasenko mm-hmm. and Schwartz's and those guys. Mm-hmm they developed and turned into good players and took over as the core. So now you have a situation where the, the core that he's been developing 
you know, for a couple of years, uh, hoping that it would take over. It's the Robert Thomas, who's been terrific, and he's an all-star and should be. And then you have a Jordan Cairo, who's been up and down. Um, uh, but then in addition to that, what makes us challenging is, I touched on the contracts earlier, you know, everybody's got a six, seven, eight-year deal. And so before, he didn't have to deal with that. Everybody was on a two, three, maybe a four-year deal, and you could change guys out. Even if you didn't see the end of that contract, you could move them because a team would take them. The guy only has a year or two left. Well, now, you know, if a guy isn't performing well, you try to move him, and you're going to have to sweeten it because he's got four, five, six years left on, on that deal. So I think the fact that you have some guys coming up like a Cairo who maybe haven't been as good as you hope, and then add on top of that the length of a lot of these contracts, it makes it difficult for Doug Armstrong to do what he did so well all those other years. With the Blues in particular, JR, you know, that, that sort of like Tarasenko, Perron, um, you know, Ian Cole was in the mix. Like that, those years where they just amassed first rounders, you know, 06 to 09, right? The Doug Waite trade, right. Kachuk to Atlanta. Um, you know, in, in some ways, it feels like that set the stage for 15 years of, of sustained success, uh, essentially, and ultimately a cup win sort of toward the end of their window um, in St. Louis. Is that something they might need to do again here? Yeah, and, and they're coming off a draft where they kind of did that. They uh, When they traded O'Reilly, yeah. Teresinko, they got their three first-round draft picks, uh, Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, he's he's obviously uh, top ten. Yeah, he's a sick Taking last year's draft, the center. Yeah, he's going to be – it looks like he's going to be terrific. Um, and, and then after that, in the 20s, they got from Sweden Otto Stenberg and then Theo Lindstein, who Theo led all defensemen at the World Juniors with eight points, and, and so he was uh, terrific. So they're hoping that'll be the case, but, you know, are those guys two or three years off? And, yeah. and then also, um, what are you going to do in the meantime with all these aging veterans on the roster? So, you know, I think, to be honest with you, I think it's a situation where Doug is doing the best he can. He might try to move a guy or two out, um, but I think for the meantime – you know, they're calling it a retool here in St. Louis, and it's just, it is what it is. Develop the young guys. Hopefully the, the Dvorskis, the Stenbergs, those guys, Jimmy Snuggerud in Minnesota is a name I left out. You know, hopefully those guys just can just continue to uh, progress. And in the meantime, you take phone calls and make phone calls on the rest of this lineup. Yeah, I was going to ask you about their approach to the deadline this year, because, you know, you look at it, they don't necessarily have a lot of high-profile guys who are on expiring deals who would be really obvious trade bait at the deadline if they did want to sell. Do you think they could look at some of the players that do have term left on the team and explore if there is any sort of market for them at the deadline this year? That's all everybody in St. Louis is talking about right now. And here's the situation. So I, I mentioned those names last year, O'Reilly, Tarasenko. You got uh, three first-round picks you came out of the, the uh, trade deadline with. Um, this year, Scandella, Kasperi Kapanen, and Verana, who right now Verana's in the American League and, and nobody's touching him anyway. Those are the main, and Scandella, the main unrestricted free agents, so it's not nearly you know, the, the crop that you had last year, right? Um, but beyond that, if you want to look at guys with term, there's a couple guys that I don't know that the Blues would be willing to part with. It depends you know, what's the temperature in terms of the retool versus the rebuild with Doug Armstrong. But Pavel Buchnevich, he's got one more year left on his deal. He's uh, He'll be 30 years old when his next deal starts. C could he want eight years? Could he want $8 million plus? And if the Blues are retooling, rebuilding, 
do they want to pay him that in the first two or three years when they're still going through this? Another name, uh, Brandon Saad, I think he's got at least another year left on the deal beyond this year. I think, no, two. It's two after this year. Uh, you know, could he help a team as a third line forward? You know, you've got to take the term. I think he's at 4.5-ish. Um, so I think there could be people interested in, in some of the players on the Blues roster with term. Jordan Bennington, obviously a different class with uh, goaltending. Uh, but he's another one that maybe one of those playoff teams out there that is still struggling to find the goalie might have some interest in. I got to believe, though, with Doug Armstrong would hang on to him. He wanted to be competitive during this uh, retool. And, uh, you know, Joel Hofer would be next in line. So I think that Doug would probably be opposed to trading Jordan Bennington, depending on what the conversation is like. Jeremy, thanks for getting us up to speed with the Blues. Uh, enjoy the game in Calgary tonight and, and uh, against the Canucks tomorrow. Thanks for doing this. Yep, anytime, guys. Talk to you later. Safe travels, bud. That is Jeremy Rutherford covering the Blues for The Athletic. And, uh, yeah, interesting and difficult situation in St. Louis with just the amount of long-term money committed on the books there. And, you know, some of it to young players. Uh, as he said, Robert Thomas having a really good season, so you don't feel bad about that. But you start to look at the back end, right, where it's three more years for Justin Falk after this one, three more years for Tory Krug, Colton Pareko signed forever, two more years of Nick Letty, and, you know, it's, I remember Jim Rutherford speaking about unwinding the Canucks salary cap situation and us talking about how hard it was going to be to disassemble. This well, is also going to be very difficult I mean, for the he, Blues. He literally was blocked from a Krug trade because the player has trade protection this yep. summer. Yeah. Right? Um, you, know, it, you know, it's a tough one. And, and I guess what's extra interesting about it, to me anyway, is the, you know, how different would their positioning be if instead of bringing in Krug, they'd promoted Wallman and Dunn, mm. who they had, like who yep. were their in-house drafted and developed guys. And and it just feels like they sort of made a misevaluation on what they had to move on beyond Pietrangelo, brought in someone from outside, and that hasn't worked out. And, and the error has kind of compounded itself, right? Because Dunn's... Uh, legit first pair guy in Seattle and Wallman's honestly a fringe first pair guy in Detroit. Yeah. What do you think about uh, Buchnevich as a potential trade target? A couple of people texting in and, and Rutherford brought him up there and huge fan, you know, one more year left at 5.8. So the interesting thing there is, you know, it's not a lot of term, but it does give you at least a little bit of security for next year. Very reasonable number for the production that he could bring that's the type of guy where he doesn't show up on a lot of trade lists or trade boards because he's not the classic pending UFA, and who knows, maybe there would be a little bit of reluctance uh, on the Blues' part. But if he's available... Yeah, he's sick. <laughs> he's a really, really good player. Lanky, skilled, um, disruptive on the PK. That's one thing that you'd like additionally, mm -hmm. right, about that fit from a Vancouver Canucks perspective is that's a guy who can legitimately help you four on five. Um, yeah, no, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I think that's definitely a name worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. And again, it just kind of fits that mold. Okay, it's not a center, which is the ideal fit, but an impact player in the top six, give you some options, give you some different utility in different phases of the game uh, as well. I guess if you're watching the Blues, too, with an eye toward like, hey, what could we scrape off the, <laughs> yeah. off the scrap heap from them? Um, Oscar Sundqvist is in mm. their lineup. Obviously an ex-Pittsburgh Penguin, right-handed forward versatile enough to play center and on the wing can win some draws and you know we'll we'll get into this a little more but 
I do think a right-handed face-off guy is like another thing this team could could use. Yeah. Right? Like I genuinely You know, I, I so the Canucks are like a 47 or sorry, 49.7% face-off team, the 17th in the NHL. Totally fine. Right? Face-offs matter so much in individual moments in the game, but in a in, in a big picture sense, so long as you're not like getting crushed, so yeah. long as you're not like 47% it's not going to lose you more than a than a game or two in in specific moments. But those specific moments, that's the, what the playoffs are all about. The micro gets amped yeah, up yeah, pretty yeah. significantly come the postseason and you know, the Canucks don't have a right-handed face-off option above 40%. In fact, above 35%. Right? Unless you want to count Garland winning one of two as a 50% guy or uh, Andre Kuzmenko won one of one. So there he's you go. 100%. Face off ace. His yeah. new role on the team. Convert him to center. No. Um, so, you know, that's something that I sort of look at and think. Now, it is a little bit more complicated than how I've laid it out. Because while you'd love a guy to take strong side draws, uh, JT Miller's baseball swing go-to power move in the circle is actually designed to win on the weak side. Mm-hmm. It's why he's typically taken draws whenever he's with, like, any left-handed centermen um, on their weak side. So, you know, I, I think there's at least some insurance there. The way I say it, it makes it sound like a, a top-line need, but I don't think it's that because of Miller's uh, ability to win weak, weak side faceoffs. I do, however, think it's something this team could use. Like, I do think at the end of the day, an additional – now. Are you going to go out and get a guy who can only win draws? Like, you're not going to go out and get, what was his name, Yannick Perot? Yeah. Was, like, the classic. Yep. Jim Slater, ex-Atlanta Thrasher. I don't know. Remember there used to be yeah, players yeah, who just, like, course, won yeah. draws? Jay Beagle. Yeah. Towards the end of his career, oh, he still he was still winning a ton of draws. Even oh, Jay Beagle doing was much a else. monster in the circle. But, yeah. like, yeah, okay. So, Jay Beagle, Paul Ghostad. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. I don't think you're going to go and target a guy like that by any means. But, you know, if you're building a list of Canucks targets, like the fact that Elias Lindholm is a right-handed centerman who wins 55% of his draws, that, like, does add some luster. Pretty interesting. You know? Pretty interesting. Uh, By the way, I saw Dollywell, and I can't believe I hadn't thought of this, but Dollywell mentioned that uh, Jim Rutherford drafted Lindholm. Right. In Carolina. I was like, oh man, I can't, I can't, I, I, that's the first time I'd heard that uh, mentioned. I can't believe we hadn't been connecting the dots on that one already there. But uh, shout out to Dollywell for getting Our bad. It. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Jay and New West texted, and we will get more into the trade tiers and, you know, what how, what their strategy should be uh, in the next segment. Jay and New West just talking about uh, the Andre Kuzmenko stuff from earlier in the show. Text in, you guys mentioned Kuzmenko was out to kill the game in the final minute. I took that a little different as a last chance test for Kuzmenko with an empty net. Do you lock it down or continue to cheat for offense and try to score the empty net goal? He locked it down anyway, but I just took the opportunity slightly different than y'all. I mean, I think it's we're saying similar things here, right? Where it's a bit of a challenge position, a challenge opportunity for Kuzmenko. Hey, you're out there late in the game. Now, there's also the added bonus of you haven't scored in a while and there's an empty net. So you played a good game. You got a couple points, but can we get you the goal here as well? But I think it was just kind of a a baby step to, hey, you're doing some positive things. Here's a situation where I wouldn't typically use you. So I'm doing it one 
as a bit of a reward, but also as, okay, you're, you know, you're growing. Now let's see some more growth. Let's put you in a bit of a different situation and see if you extend those principles. So I think it's kind of similar to what Jay New West is getting at. It's just an opportunity for him to, one, maybe score, but also keep demonstrating uh the good things he's been doing yeah you you don't do it to put a player in a position to fail like that's a really highly sought after carrot do you remember earlier in the year when i asked Elias petterson about how he didn't use to kill games Mm. and he was like yeah it took me until and he knew like the exact year he was like until my third year to get an empty net goal you know like it matters to players and think about all the guys who are either on pace for career years on this team right like how you know a a you put Brock Besser out with the net empty, right? It's like, I'm that much closer to 40. I'm that yep. much closer to 50. Yep. You know, and if you're Brock Besser, who becomes extension eligible this July 1, like, what do we know about a 40-goal scorer? You're always a 40-goal scorer. The moment you hit 40 goals, yep. you are like, a 40-goal scorer is, is something that... forever. That, yeah, you hang it on your mantelpiece like a trophy. And and forever and on, you are considered a guy who can score 40 goals. Um, So, you know... This, that Dakota Joshua expiring contract, right? He gets twenty. Huge. You might be looking at a crooked number and on the open market. Lafferty, he could score twenty. Do you know that Teddy Bluger is seven points away from his career high? He's played like thirty games. You know, so these are highly sought after minutes. You 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 don't put a player in that spot to fail. To like test them, to like nag them. It's not Eric. <laughs> it's not nagging Andre Kuzmenko. It's a reward, and yeah. and it's and, a reward and an opportunity, and it's an, opportunity. A, an opportunity. One for the goal, but also to to keep earning the trust. And, it's both, and it's one that matters a lot to everybody. You know what I mean? Like it's it's an opportunity that means something. So you know, I thought I thought that was a very positive sign, like a very significant carrot that uh, that Rick Tockett offered. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can keep getting your thoughts in. Uh, Drancer had a great piece up at The Athletic today t- looking at just kind of general tiers. Of course, what other format would it be? Tiers uh, for what the Canucks should be targeting at the trade deadline. So we can get into that, go through some of the obvious ones, some of the less obvious below the radar things that they should be looking at, and also just kind of generally – what their strategy should be, especially when it comes to which prospects, which assets should be in play for what on the market. So we'll do that. Keep your text coming in. Uh, it is Canucks Talk here. Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance here. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Now, just as we were returning from break, uh, producer Dom Shermati got in my ear and asked if he could, quote, and I quote, come clean 
about the show's music, and he wanted to do it live on air. So I have no idea what this is about, but apparently Dom has a confession to make about the show's music. Dom. As you know, I produce a, a small podcast. Oh my gosh. Why, uh, did, I, why did I turn the mic called, over to you? I regret the, it already. Called the PDOcast? And, and the PDOcast. Um, oh, sorry. I, you're actually talking about the People Show? I'm talking about the PDOcast. Okay. And I'm talking about uh, 32 Talks. Yeah, okay. All right. We, so, we heard you might yeah, be we, involved we with get that. It. We get it. So I know that you guys want music that's dedicated to your show. And it is. It is. For the most part, it is. The beginning of it is. The beginnings of each song are. But I have to confess, the <laughs> ass end of each song <laughs> feature heavily on 32 Thoughts. So you couldn't be bothered to find... Because we're, we're talking about what? Between all of your many podcasts... We're talking about like twenty songs, Max. Oh, I have a I have a you, library. You got to ten and we're like, I'm done. I'm just gonna cut these in half. Do you think we didn't stuff. know this? You think we don't listen to thirty two thoughts? Yeah, but they're different they're different <laughs> parts of the song. I mean, I will say I scr- I don't just like press play on thirty two thoughts and listen all the way through. I scrub to the parts that are I want to hear. Are you a times like point five guy? No, 5 guy? no Absolutely I don't do not. that. But I jump to I jump to where I want to go. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I don't pay a lot of attention to the music. So I probably wouldn't have known this. Okay. Honestly, listening to a podcast at 1.5 is like learning to fly a helicopter in the Matrix. Where you're just like... Please ap- explain. Like, you know how in the Matrix, it's like, I need to know how to fly an Apache helicopter. Yes. And then they just like upload the software and it's like... And they get like REM for like two seconds and then boom. They can fly a helicopter or use a rocket launcher or whatever. That's what I feel like I'm doing every time I listen to Chipmunks at one and a half times speed. In a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Like, I don't want to. Because you made it sound cool. <laughs> also, you, you did. You actually really did. Also, you said REM, and I thought of the band. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, the, the, the band is also cool. Yeah. Wait, I'm, I'm just glad <laughs> it's I named could after get... the thing that I was referencing. Yes, yeah. indeed. Well, I'm glad, Dom, get I'm glad you could get that off your. I, I, re- I got to be honest. Dom, Dom, I really don't care. <laughs> Yeah, dumb. Everybody hurts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just losing my religion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't care. But I'm glad for you that you could uh, get Thank that off you. your chest. Thank Obviously, you. weighing very, very heavily on you. All right. Now we can go back to being shiny, happy people holding hands. Yeah. Deep With cut. Chrome dome. I was gonna say I was pretty much out of REM references after <laughs> after losing my religion and everybody hurts. I was like, I don't know if I can name a third one. <laughs> Man on the moon. Man on go. the moon. There we go. Got it. Um, anyways, back to Canuckstock here on Sportsnet 650. As mentioned, as we uh, reignite, turn on the athletic to Canuckstock pipeline here on the show, as we like to do from time to time. Good piece up by you and your guy, Harmon Dial. Canucks trade deadline need tears. Now, to frame it, from my perspective, you can add the framing you want as well. Not about specific players, about the general types of targets that the Canucks should be interesting that would do the most to boost their Stanley Cup chances. And uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say off the top, or we just want to kind of dive into the exercise here. Things the team could use going into the playoffs. Yes. And, and you know, with an escalating standard, right? I mean... We talk about the PK in this piece, and once again, it's like, hey, look, the Canucks penalty kill has been average this season. That's a smash success, a massive improvement. But all of a sudden, you know, when, when, when once we raise the standard from what does this team have to do to make the playoffs to 
what does this team have to do to, to go on a run? Win multiple rounds. Right? That standard becomes more exacting. And so, you know, we sort of ran through from like a really 30, 30K thousand foot view, like specific areas of need that this team could consider trying to find upgrades. And, and you know, we have like six categories, but that doesn't mean we think the Canucks should go get six individual players. Like ideally, you're able to find a guy or two who fit a couple of them, right? Mm. But, you know, we, we sort of put at the top tier, I think it was called the primary targets tier, right? A top six player, right? Now, now we put top six center and then top six winger. But I think it's one more top six player, um, you know, and that's based off of the fact that for the most part this season, this team hasn't carried play at the top of the lineup the way that contenders typically do, right? Forward depth, goaltending quality, extraordinary finishing, the power play getting hot. Those things have really carried this team, you know, aside from a week in which the lotto line went tomahawk dunking on everybody, like five on five overwhelming heavy shifts at the top of the lineup hasn't been this team's MO. And in fact, we have seen occasionally this team bump into a top side and kind of struggle in that matchup, right? Uh, certainly you think about that New Jersey Devils game or that Vegas Golden Knights game, yep. um, you know, in, in early December, uh, late late November. So that remains sort of number one. And, and that matches all the reporting. Like the Canucks think this too, clearly they should, you know, like this is the area to target to improve the team. And then we sort of go down a level and you know, that next tier down, which is, do you have it open? Good. If you good to have, if you play into may, right. That's it. So like the, like, Oh, I wish we had that. You hit when you hit game 18 of your playoff run and injuries mount. Right. And this one I actually think is interesting is the idea that this club could use one more puck mover, Mm -hmm. you know, I know the most buzzed about defender acquisition would be Chris Tanev. And I think based off of just like the heart of that, <laughs> you know, like the the right or wrong yep. part of it, the fact that Chris Tanev is like the toughest, coolest player, one of them anyway, to play for this franchise in, in its lengthy history. Uh, the fact that he does compliment Quinn Hughes well, and the fact that, man, he is a monster on the penalty kill. I think he's like one of the guys we'd make an exception for, but really what this is focused on is this idea that the Canucks have found something. And and I don't think it's a coincidence. Like I think after they acquired Ethan Bear and played Bear with Hughes, you saw something materially different. And if you look through how Hughes's results have looked when he's played with Shen, with Tanev, with mm-hmm. Hamnick, you know, you can even go down the list to Juleson and, and Jordy Ben, although they didn't qualify in terms of our minutes cut off yep. in this article. It's like identical. Like it's identical how the Canucks control play when he plays with a defensive minded guy. And it turns out that when you put him with a puck mover, right? Like I asked Quinn about this earlier in the season, you know, at, for a long time, everyone thought you needed a more defensive guy to play with. Um, you know, but it seems like I basically put this formulation to him and his response was, well, I'm the defensive guy. And that's right. That's right. You don't want to pair Hughes with a shutdown guy. Hughes is the shutdown guy. It's just that he shuts guys down in a way we're not used to, which is by controlling games with the puck on his stick. And when you put him with another puck mover, you like unlock additional touches, additional moments for him to make magic, right? Like all of this new stuff 
kind of happens environmentally. Now, it's not just playing with Bear last year or playing with Heronic last year that's unlocked what we're seeing from Quinn Hughes, which is, you know, a player on on pace to have a truly historic season. Not a historic season for a Canucks defenseman, a historic yep. season for an NHL defenseman, period. Like, we we may well look back at the season and be like, that's a higher peak than Ray Bork ever hit. Paul Coffey. Like, ludicrous. <sighs> ludicrous yeah. stuff, okay? But that's where he's at, and that's credit to him. Do you hear Rick Tockett, by the way, say that he thinks he's added 10 yes, to 15? incredible. Now, now, we have NHL edge data. Oh, that's true. Do you want to know the actual retail sure, price? Because yeah. I've done this work. Yeah. I looked, at, I looked this up recently, but I forget the exact details of it. In terms of average pace of shot, two miles per hour. Okay. Okay. But, but, um, and, and actually, and actually, here's something that's interesting if you look at the data. Last season, Quinn Hughes actually had more heavy shots than he's had this year. Okay. okay. He, so, again, pouring into this data, which you can, thank, thanks to the league's innovation, we now have uh, more granular access to. If you look at the data, Quinn Hughes had 25%. So 25% of Quinn Hughes' shots this year are faster than 80 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. 35% of his shots last year were uh, 80 miles per hour. What, how do you think it correlates that Quinn Hughes' shot speed, velocity is down, but his shots are more dangerous? He's getting into more dangerous areas. He's getting it's, to the dangerous areas of the ice way more. It's a different type of shot. Yeah. When you're shooting from 100 feet, it's a slap shot. When you're shooting from where Hughes is now shooting, yeah. this like mid-range home plate area, you're, you're using a drag shot. You're using that bullet wrister that he scored on yesterday, and he's got you know a ton of those over the course of the season. The, the reason Hughes is scoring more is volume and shot location. It, and again, this is NHL edge data. 18% of Hughes' shots were mid-range last season. So this is like not the low slot, but that sort of middle slot home plate area, kind of mm -hmm. like Bowman line down um, between the circles. 18% of his shots were mid-range last season. 33% of them this season are. Yeah, it's it, uh, He has added velocity. That's like present in the data, but he's added like targeted velocity, right? In, in his overall average shot speed is higher and so I think when Tockett says he's 10 to 15 miles per hour faster, he probably knows that, right? Like, but that's probably the speed on the slap shots. It's just that he's not actually taking those shots as frequently. Yeah. He's taking a more dangerous drag shot in, from a more dangerous area that actually has a lower shot speed. Um, it's, it's a fascinating well, but, dynamic. And his, I would also say his slap shot might have added... A little bit of velocity, but it's possible that his wrist shot has added significantly more velocity. Right, but that wouldn't show up on the peak shooting because he's used, well, You know what I mean? Because his you're not mechanics, gonna... his mechanics didn't like this shot wasn't part of his arsenal period yep. last year. It wasn't. It just wasn't. We didn't see like you remember that drag shot finish that he had against the Islanders to win it in overtime. Mm -hmm. Like that just wasn't in this dude's bag a year ago. It's incredible to have added it and then to be able to apply it in the toughest league in the world to this effect. <laughs> Outrage. Anyway, sorry, I've gotten way off. No, it's all right. It's. I mean, there's always room on this show to appreciate the greatness of Quinn Hughes. You all, well, and also and how he's upped his game this year. And also, like, I just can't help myself when when someone affiliated with the team 
gives me oh, like, drop specific data gives me a quantifiable thing i'm like well i'm gonna fact check that <laughs> and not and not maliciously just like out of curiosity right yeah. like anyway um and and thanks to nhl edge data i actually can um okay sorry so I think this is sort of an undertold thing that we're talking about because I actually think Vancouver's defensive depth is like pretty decent, right? Like you get one defenseman injury and Noah Juleson's in the lineup. Well, Noah Juleson actually helps your penalty kill. I don't mm -hmm. think that's like, I don't, I, uh, we I don't, might bump into a point where no, should Noah Juleson he gets actually, in the lineup. where he, he just actually gets in the lineup. I, I would be stunned if the coaching staff hasn't had those discussions. Already. Is he actually one of our six best defensemen? Totally. Or that we want him in the lineup at least. 100%. So, Noah Juleson, one injury, you get to Noah Juleson. Two injuries, you get to Mark Friedman, which is fine, right? Um, three injuries, you get to probably Christian Willannon. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, sometimes in the playoffs, you're going to amp up. Like, Hughes is going to play 35 minutes in a playoff game, right? Like, and that means what? You need 10 minutes from, mm -hmm. 10 minutes safe hockey. Like, I, you know, I don't think Christian Willannon, three injuries down the line is a problem at all. And not even something you need to upgrade on. Um, and then four injuries, you get to Cole McWard, and I think same thing. Like, probably probably eight to nine minutes. The, you know, like that that happens in the playoffs. Sometimes we see that from third pairs. I think you can. I think you can be pretty happy if you're the Canucks with your defenseman options seven through ten. Where I think things get sticky is where the heroic acquisition, in particular, brought this team above a certain baseline that they fell below pretty consistently over the pre in previous seasons, which was the amount of puck moving up and down the lineup just wasn't high enough to get moving consistently north-south, created a tougher environment for your forwards, made you too dependent on the forecheck to generate offense, and, and got this team effectively stuck in their own end too frequently. We, we've talked about this for years, right? The idea that if you fall behind below a certain baseline in terms of puck moving ability, you can either defend or manufacture offense, but you kind of can't right. do both. Yeah. And I think that's relatively delicate, especially given that this team's ability to win at the top of the lineup is so tied up in Hughes playing with a puck moving guy. And and I kind of have talked myself into one thing that I think this team should really prioritize is some puck moving insurance. Just in case, right? Because Heronik's been a really durable player. He had the injury, obviously, when the Canucks acquired mm -hmm. him last season, but he's been a really durable player over the course of his career. Quinn Hughes has been stunningly like, durable. Incredibly durable, yeah. Um, so, you know, that's good, but these playoff runs go so long, and we've seen in Canucks history, like 2011, you have Nolan Baumgartner getting called, you know, mm -hmm. Chris Tanev making his NHL playoff debut, like, you know, Aaron Rome suspension, Dan Hamhuis injury, uh, Christian Erhoff's shoulder is like completely out of place. Alex Edler can barely hold a stick by the Stanley Cup final. And you get through that sort of gauntlet of injuries and you're diminished, right? It costs you a chance at history. Um, you know, Brian Glynn getting hurt in the 1994 playoff run and Dana Merzen getting sort of drafted in the lineup. We've even seen it in years where the Canucks didn't go that deep, like uh, the balls of steel year with Sammy Salo. Yeah, yeah. You had Edler get hurt. You had Salo get hurt. All of a sudden, you've got Shane O'Brien on the top pair, and, you know, the it's tough, right? Like, it gets tougher and tougher. The the That was also the year that Willie Mitchell was out, right? So it's like you get to this critical mass of defensive injuries, and all of a sudden, you're kind of dead in the water. Um, I think this team in particular, because of how 
differently Hughes plays with a puck moving defenseman should should look if possible to purchase some affordable depth insurance because while I like you know while I like their depth seven through ten none of that depth qualifies as that like you know Eric Gustafson type mm. who who you can put with Hughes and have them they're never going to be as good as Heronic but can they be eighty percent of Ethan Bear. Yes, I was. I was just gonna say, like, look what they got. They got Ethan Bear for a fifth round pick, and now there was a little bit of salary, probably more than you would like, attached to it, given the Canucks' other needs, right? And yeah, is this guy even gonna be an everyday player? No, but it has to be that type of player, kind of third pairing, uh, you know, low salary, but where they make their money is by moving the puck. That's that's well, a player type that's out there, and you hope you, you you may never use them, right? Yeah, and and that's why it's tough to do those types of deals where you give up a fifth for guy you hopefully never use, but. You know, I mean, I listed some options, guys like Travis Dermott, right, who can play the right side, guys like Eric Brandstrom, who if the Senators retained half, that's a million dollar mm. guy. Club can basically fit that in depending on, you know, their bigger ads, because that's really key. Like, this isn't such a high priority thing that it can block well, your top six up. And I would even say there's a temptation, I think, probably like, OK, if you go make the one move, but then, you know, be, don't go spend assets on a guy that you, you don't even want to play necessarily in your ideal world. But I almost think once you go make the big move, you know, the more all in you are, the kind of more all in it makes sense to be. You're like, right. Then it's like, well, you don't invest. It's it's like don't buy the shiny new car and then skimp out on the insurance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely like, not. Go get that insurance piece for the depth because otherwise you're going to be saying, well, why did we waste a first round well, pick but, and a prospect? But I'm more talking about heated guy. seats or yeah, like, yeah, or yeah, like yeah, the yeah. auto open in the trunk. Don't skimp on the sound system. I, I bought a new car that uh, that doesn't have the um, auto open on the trunk. Okay. And, my, and it drives my wife nuts. She's like so mad at me every day about it. It's incredible. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, and, and I mean, these guys can be had relatively affordably. Like, I'm not saying break the bank. There there are higher-end options you could consider. Mm-hmm. Like, you could go chase a Matt Dumba or a Justin Schultz or a, a Chris Tanev, right? Like, there are higher-end options that would also fit the bill. And, you know, that I think could add an interesting dynamic to this team's overall makeup. But it is tough. The, the one thing with doing anything other than a depth defenseman is you've already got a logjam of minutes. Where, totally. And, and the, the coaching staff, I think, has legitimate questions about which six guys should be in the lineup every night. And so unless you're moving out and look, maybe we can get into this. And we had some people texting in. Hey, beyond Kuzmenko, are there other things they could do? Are there, you know, bigger a bigger series of moves they could make that would clear up even more cap space? I'm not saying it's likely, and especially where you look at how well so many of these guys are playing, but they do have three significant UFAs on the back end, right? All making three million or above. In, in Tyler Myers' case, six million. So if you were talking about a defenseman you thought would be an everyday defenseman for you or like even a top four guy or something like that, you kind of have to you kind of have to move one of the guys you have currently out. Now, somebody made a good point. I think it was Colin from the Caribou, I want to say, earlier in the show that so often what the Canucks have done has been move A to set up move B, right? And we've seen that in smaller circumstances with, you know, Travis Hamanick to Travis Dermott. We've seen that in, you know, really big trades, uh, Bo Horvat, and then you flip the picks for Philip Ronick, right? Like, we've seen so many of these two-steps deals with the Vancouver right. Canucks and this management group. So I do think it's worth noting. When you have the dynamic of a ton of pending UFAs, a desire to upgrade, like to me, that makes that style of move possible. And obviously, with Andre Kuzmenko in particular, like that could be the first shoe to drop before a bigger move that the Canucks make. For sure. And, you know, you but but you think about it like this team does have 
22 bodies on the roster right now, mm-hmm. right? There is some LTI flexibility short term. The roster limit will lift beyond the deadline, right? So you can ice more than 23 guys um, once you get past the deadline. Like there are. Carry more than 23 guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just dress whoever you want. <laughs> that is a very, very good correction. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, like this team's. This team can add a million dollar guy who you're not penciling into the mm-hmm, lineup mm-hmm. right away. Yeah, like they and and I, you know, I just add that as something I I kind of think they should. Like I I really do. Uh, what else do we have in the? So if that would that be you know in that kind of million dollar depth tier, is that the number one target for you? A puck, some puck moving insurance. Well, the number on the one target's end. the top six. Guy, no, 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 but no. The but the number like one second. Oh yeah, the, the guy that can be acquired for a million or under. I, I you know I, what I mean. I, Puck for me a puck moving defenseman because the significant difference that it makes to play Quinn Hughes with a puck moving guy who meets a certain baseline right and what he looks like playing with you know if you play Ian Cole there if you play Tyler Myers there if you play you know one of Vancouver's other defensemen um, Noah Juleson right like it's just such a stark gap. And I, I just think you have to be so protective. Like, if this team's going to do, you know, what everyone in this market hopes it can do, creating an creating the environment in which we know Hughes cooks best needs to be, like, that's task number one. Yeah. That's task number one, two, three. Like, for me, that's – that, for me, with a bullet, is the second thing I'd see. Well, especially, I, I'd as prioritize. you said, when you think about the minutes they're going to ask him to play in the playoffs, and rightfully so, because yeah. you have one of the best players on the planet. That's what you do. You lean on him in the playoffs. He's, he's going to play with – Everybody, especially considering his durability and the the style of game that he plays, and how incredibly rarely he gets hit or takes physical punishment, like you feel pretty good about ramping his minutes up in the playoffs. Well, and you know what though, I've I mean the one times the sorry the the few times that I've seen Quinn Hughes really get drilled was like Montreal during that bubble season. Montreal mm-hmm. went hard at him with pretty fast, pretty big guys like Yoel Armia. Um, uh, Anderson on mm-hmm. and on and Vegas in the playoffs like Vegas went after him in the bubble like playoff hockey looks a lot different we know it when we see it right like anyway Hughes is incredible and I still think he's going to be able to avoid contact especially now that his game's more mature mm. and yeah I mean he looks like he could play forever like he looks like he could play all day it's unbelievable 100%. but I do think making sure that that environment is as like luck proof as possible requires this team adding another another blue liner and and I do think you know if you lose at any point one of those top pair guys does this team fall below that baseline level of puck moving efficacy that they found this season that to me is you know a, a fatal flaw that this team has had in the past that I I just you don't want to wake up with a huge game in mid-May and be like ah I'm worried that the Canucks aren't going to be able to break out uh, just we'll go a little bit long on this segment. Sorry in advance. We don't Dom. have any guests. Yeah, we don't matter. have any guests coming up. It truly doesn't matter, other than Dom getting annoyed. 
Well, this is the end of the world. Nicely done. By the way, like six people texted in uh, what's the frequency kind of references when we were talking about REM. So shout out to everyone for getting those jokes That's in. That's the one but, I love. Uh, in, the, in the tier piece, you know, luxury item tier, and the one that was interesting to me, well, there's both items this, okay? Reliable right handed face off guy and another net front option for the power play. I think the power play point is interesting and some of the numbers on it, but I do think it's fascinating. Okay, so you had those two items, right? Reliable right handed face off guy another net front option for the power play up a tier you have one more solid penalty killing forward you know up above that top six center Elias Lindholm he does all of it he's all of those things right he's another penalty killing forward he's a solid right shot centerman he's a top six guy he can play not net front necessarily no, the power but, play, but he can help your power play he's lethal in the bumper and you know I think Besser can play net front I liked him there when they I thought he adjusted really quickly to that spot when they leaned on him heavily mm-hmm. in years past. Certainly as a playmaker, he's actually sick in that spot. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, mean, I was just going through the list. I was like, yeah, Lindholm, Lindholm, Lindholm. You can like pencil his name in a lot checks, of different spots here. He checks a lot of boxes. The problem is, what I can't get over, though, is like fundamentally, what are you looking for from a top six guy? You're not... When we talk about the Canucks bringing in a top six guy, we're talking about them bringing in like a difference maker that elevates this team. Mm-hmm. Is he that? Well, Gensel's a better player. Like at at some point, that I, I find that difficult to overlook. Yeah, I hear that. And look, I I also, I, also re- I think so much of it honestly comes down to your evaluation of Pew Suter. And your confidence. You know how I feel. About I, and I really, really like the player, but you <laughs> like him more, a lot more as like super utility option that you're moving around the lineup at will other than we have to have this guy in our in our top six or else we're screwed. You know what I mean? Which is kind of what it would be if you don't pick up another top six center. Look, I love Gensel as a fit as well and a player. But anyway, just 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 playing devil's advocate because you're right. From a hockey fit perspective, it's hard to do better than Elias Lindholm. And yet. From a talent perspective, a talent. He's on pace for like 45 points. Yeah. No, he's dropped off a lot. Yeah. Now, I do wonder, you know, you get him with a kind of high-flying team that's going into the playoffs. Do you see a little bit of a resurgence in that way? But there's no disputing that he has dropped off uh, significantly from his career year a couple of years ago. On the other side, because I know yeah. we got to go to break before Dom gets upset. Everybody hurts right now. Before Dom throws 32 tantrums. <laughs> I... <laughs> I... um. I, I want to do a take on the other side, and I want to have a discussion Ooh, about, exciting. about how the best deadline moves of the last five years are all not rentals. Go off, King. All right. Go off, King. I want to do that. I want to do that. We Fuck will do Thomas. that next. Coming up here, final segment of the show, Canucks Talk Sports at 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, your final segment of the show. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll hear Drance's hot take about the trade deadline coming up here in mere minutes. But first, the Canucks practice today at Rogers Arena debuted the chrome metallic blue helmets 
So I'm sure Rick Tockett went heavy on that in his media availability. But uh, here is the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Rick Tockett. Uh, I'm not a designer, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, yeah. I got no comment on the helmets. Do you think the fans will like them? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't, uh, you don't, all un- <laughs> don't all uniforms look good, though, when you win? What's that? Don't all uniforms look good when you win? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, everything looks, you know, when you win, I think more things sell. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not in the marketing and merchandise business, but you guys really want to press on this helmet thing. <laughs> Mike, What's let's the, go. Another question, please. Uh, you're winning too many games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Blues in town, uh, what are you expecting from that team here coming in? Well, we played them a couple of weeks ago, and, um, you, know, you know, we got a little taste. I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of that, kind of the start where we, we half-decent game, but I thought they played really well through the neutral zone, and I think we weren't ready for that. So they're a good uh, uh, rush team, so we've got to be ready for the rush tomorrow. It's your last regulation loss, I guess, would be against the Blues. And yeah. Taking away from that, is some guys kind of fired up for this one now that they're coming back here? Well, I think so. I think we got to we got to. It doesn't matter who we play. We got to get a little fired up. I think our last couple of games have been a little bit. You know, we're winning the games, but I, I don't know. I don't know if every loves our game right now, uh, which is a good thing. You know, but we're finding resilience to to, to win, which is it was a nice thing. But I think we got to recognize how to get better, and uh, you know, we got two games left. We can't overlook these two games. I think this is a, you know this break is going to really do this team a lot of good. We really need it, but we still have two games to play. It looks like you guys are having the good starts and getting the goals early. What is it about kind of shifting into second gear and kind of building off of it, though? Well, for me, it's like uh, the line changes haven't been as good. Um, there's a 50-50 puck, and guys are kind of waiting to see if the guy wins. Where before we would track back. If we won the battle, then we you know then we play offense. Now we're kind of waiting a little bit too much. I think it happens for some reason in the second period. Can't put my finger on why it happens in the second, but um, if we clean that up, a little more game management with the puck, I think we'll be fine. But you got to do it for 60 minutes, and we got to find that. We got to find that 60-minute game. Rick, was that just a maintenance day, a reward for Demer today? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he, you know. Uh, I think he worked with Clarky early, and that's why we had the spare goalie. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, we've done that in the past, where he just goes, does a little bit of his reps uh, in the crease, and then we we let the the other goalie go in there. You were very candid after the morning skate yesterday that the, the first line had to be better, especially at 5-on-5. Five five. Didn't look like it was a step in the right direction last night. So where are they with you? Well, I think they've struggled the last three, four games. You know, I don't think, you know, they, 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 I don't think they're happy with their play either. You know, that Saturday night game, they were, I thought they were okay again. So, I, you know, like I told you guys, I'm, I'm not sure how long I would keep that line together. Um, it's, we're not, what are we, 9-0-1 since we put them together. So um, that's helped. But we'll see if I play them tomorrow. I don't know. We'll talk to the coaches about it. If they're not you know, productive at 5-on-5, five five, do you see any point in keeping them together? Well, I mean, if they're doing the job defensively, if they're, if they're you know, if you're controlling play, you don't always have to score. But the one good thing is they could be struggling a little bit. I get it, but they've come up with some big goals, too. You know, like the... Toronto, those two power play goals. It's not like, you know, when Lions struggle, they don't do anything. At least they're, they're coming up with some big, you know, I think PD scored in look, was it Columbus and, like, uh, Millsy got some goals. Like, it's not like they're not getting anything when they're, they're, they're playing average. Like, they're playing average. And they're, they've raised the bar. So we'll, we'll see if we, we keep it together. Do you get a benefit just out of the focus they get from other teams? Do other guys benefit from that? 
Well, they should use the, you know, when they play Matthews or McKinnon, if they, if, if they do, having the juice, hey, I want to go against the best and see how we fare. That's how you get juice. So, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Rick, you've been in charge of the Canucks for a year now. What have you seen in kind of the team's development and growth? I mean, wins aside. Development of guys like Hoglander, the way Garland's developed this year, Dakota, uh, Juleson, Meyer. Like, that's the one thing I think the coach staff's proud of, how they've, ele- like, you know, their game's, you know, elevated. Like, you know, uh, um, Amon's played better. Um, and it just goes to show their buy-in and their, you know, the way that our coaches coach them, um, you know, obviously PD and Millsy, I mean, they've had outstanding, you know, standing here all-star guys, but I think it's the other guys that have really stepped up their game and uh, bought into the puzzle that we have here. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media only briefly on the Blue Helmets. Quote, Rick Tockett. I'm not a designer. Not a designer guy. Graphic design is not Rick Tockett's passion. Well, I, I, you know, look. I look. I, I don't know. I don't know if the players love the Chrome from the quotes we're getting from the locker room, but also from what I'd sort of heard um, in previous months. But I will say, watch like seeing the photos anyway, because we're not at practice today. They look better than I expected. There you go. We'll see how it looks on TV. We'll see how it looks in another, a jersey. Another positive take from <laughs> from you know, like, I need to see the full getup to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for and sure. and. And sometimes, like, do you remember that Canucks third jersey from the 50th anniversary season? Yes. It looked so sick. But when you saw it on the ice, the neck piping was too thick, and I didn't like how it looked. Mm. And it's, like, one of my least favorite Canucks jerseys. When I first saw the Navy Johnny Canuck, I thought, interesting, but, like, I didn't love it. And then when I saw the Canucks play awesome. in it, I was like, this is the coolest jersey this franchise has ever worn. I will say, one thing I've learned doing this job is that for me, I care much less about hockey fashion than a lot of other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, the most I enjoy a really good getup is not that much, and the most I hate a really bad one, it's like a very narrow band for me. You know what I mean? Where some people have extreme reactions to what teams are wearing on a nightly night, a night to night basis. I, I can't agree with you because it would kill all my bits. <laughs> By the way, do hockey players ever have a take? Yes, very rarely. On jerseys, oh yeah. Not to the media. No, but if you like what Miller said today, like, oh, they're shiny. I don't, I don't. We wear them, okay? Like, yeah, that's such a hockey answer. For sure it is. But if you, if he wasn't on camera and it wasn't like the story of the day. You know what I'm saying? And like That's what I mean. Like JT Miller smashes helmets wasn't going to be the headline. Like he'd have a take. He's got a take. But that's my point is that like they don't really you don't really get the take in the media. No, you got to put your recorder away to get the take sometimes. Yeah, yeah. By the way, speaking of athletes having takes, this is not related to the Canucks or even the NHL at all, but uh the Milwaukee Bucks fired uh, Adrian Griffin, yep. their coach today after what? Like 43 games behind the bench. Wasn't a long time. Uh, 13. Giannis's brother Thanasis, who was on the team as kind of a ceremonial player for the <laughs> for the Bucks. How dare you? <laughs> I saw that he apparently he has a podcast. And so he like announced, hey, we're recording a podcast with Dame Lillard tonight. And I just love, imagine in the NHL, a team's coach getting fired and like the 13th forward on the team being like, recording a podcast tonight about it with the star player, guys. Going on chicklets. Oh, man. Not even going on chicklets. They're having own their own podcast. Your own podcast. 
It's like, wow, tough times for the team, but I can't miss this opportunity. I got to get this out while it's hot, guys. Got to talk about it. Anyways, just wanted to pass that along. Um, Okay. Yeah, it's like NBA players are Jason Kelsey, right? Jason Kelsey drinks too much and and goes shirtless at a football stadium, and everyone's like, what a sex symbol. But when I do it. (laughs) I know. Hey, why why is it that Jason Kelsey can go shirtless? When I take my shirt off around my future in-laws, everyone gets upset at me. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's time to leave. (laughs) Um, Gross double standards. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Okay. You should take your shirt off. What were the what was what were the best deadline moves? Best deadline moves. Okay, last spring. There's Ooh. three. And this is where I'm sorry, sorry. There's three and then a half. Because the team the addition was good, but the team made an error. So I would it. say the one that pops to mind, and Philip I mean Ronan. this is kind of cheating because they won the Stanley Cup, but Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev's one. Ivan Ivan Barbashev's one. He he would not be the one that I'd put first. Okay. But he's one. Okay. Gavrikov. All right. I mean, it it's good, and they kept him, so that's yeah. good. No. Ew. Here's the number one move. The best move that anyone made at the trade deadline was Matthias uh, Ekholm. Okay? Mm. Number two is Barbashev because they won the cup and kept him. Number three, to my shock, I, I, I'd put Philip Ronick. All right. See, I was thinking classic wow. deadline what? deals. Whoa. It's a deadline what? deal. Yeah. I mean, what? it was like a month before the deadline. And I it wasn't said it facetiously, a... but holy crap! No, I'm I'm serious. I Whoa. think that's I think it's ironic. And then th- number three and a half is Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. Did hell just freeze over? No. Wait for who? Detroit or for Vancouver? <laughs> Stop it, Dom. <laughs> number three and a half is Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty. Jake McCabe for two more playoff runs at two million is a steal, but they kind of compounded, like they kind of minimized how good a move it was because they moved off Lafferty too quickly uh, in order to prioritize Ryan Reeves, who's now trying to get traded and and blasting the organization on the record. I can't believe this. What? You had a a meme that is now cemented in Canucks Twitter of you facepalming. Look, you can't... just a short year later. You can't argue with the fit. Like, I didn't see it it coming. I didn't think this team would hit this ceiling. You know, and and this is one of those things like, do I have long-term concerns that the club in constructing this team too significantly limited their upside by trading futures when they did? Yes. But I'll never be like, I'm. Th- this team could go out in the first round or whatever, and I'm not going to be like, and they shouldn't have gone all in this year. Like, they've hit enough of a ceiling this year that that take will have been wrong. I'm not going to, like, pretend that it wasn't if events unfold that I could, like, spin that way. Like, I was wrong. It's fine. I've committed. I committed the sin of being wrong yes, about hockey. Shocking. Terrible. Anyway, I'm so proud. <laughs> now think about past years, right? Like Barkley, Gaudreau, Blake Coleman, right? We've kind of reached this era where the teams that are buying in the smartest ways, the sharpest buys at the deadline, aren't for rental players. And and I do think there's a extent to which paying significant futures for rentals is just the EV is too low. Mm. Like the, the, the return, the ROI doesn't make sense. It doesn't really, I I think those are deals you lose. If you're going to add a player to bolster your chances, I think adding a player who can help you for multiple years 
is is a far better investment and and that's doubly true for a team that you know we talked about this at length on the show yesterday you've been talking about it at length for months you know especially if you view this team as like a mid-window contender right a team for whom this might be the best shot with this core group to actually win a cup yeah right but you do have this this year and two more where you're going to have the the betting favorite for the Vesna giving you about eleven million worth of value in Thatcher Demko, and the betting favorite for the Norris in Quinn Hughes giving you an outrageous mess of value, giving you seventeen million. <laughs> Frankly, choose a number. Yeah, yeah, choose a number. You're not wrong. You can go as high as outrageous you want. value. Well, you know that level of efficiency. That's the sort of like it's not. Is it McKinnon at six million? No. But it's the sort of basis around which a, a competitive window can be built. It's not far off, to be honest, when you consider where the salary, like salary, it's cap not, gone up a little bit. It's, it's not far off, but like McKinnon was truly I mean, the best or yeah. the second best player in the sport at six million. That's probably an all timer. I don't know if we're going to yeah, see no, that that's again. What I'm saying. But it's not like it's not that far off in terms of the value you're getting on that deal. It it's the sort of so you know if you're able to buy in a way that bolsters your roster for you know, that window, those three mm. years, to me, that's the sort of thing where if the piece was right, and this sort of goes back to what Sat was talking about, right? If the piece is right, if it has a chance to provide an Ekholm, Heronic level of change the trajectory of what your ceiling is type impact, um, you know, then I do think you should be willing to part with literally any asset that the organization has because... That player, your answer to Ekholm is more likely to matter when this team has its best shot around this current core than even your absolute top prospect or your number two prospect. And, you know, I, I that's sort of the dynamic that I've been thinking about a little bit. The here. way I think about it is so take whatever asset you want, right? Whether it's this year's first round pick, LaCaramacchi, Volander, how likely is that asset to not just be on the team or contribute, but to contribute meaningfully, right? To be a top four defenseman or a top six forward, or even, you know, like a a, th- a really good third line player uh, who's giving you utility on special teams. How likely is that in the next two, three seasons? And the answer is not very likely. Now you could look at LeCare Mackey, who's going to come over to North America, right? And is having a great year. And, you know, in two seasons, could he be a really good top six winger for you? Yeah, there's that that world absolutely exists, but it's not a guarantee. Volander, I mean, how long? How much longer is he going to be in college? And then how much longer? How long is he going to take in the AHL? And then if it's going to be his rookie year and he's a defenseman, is he going to be an instant impact player? Right? Like, and that's not. This is not to be negative about either of these guys and their chances of contributing at the NHL level. It's just you have to recognize there's a process and there's a development process for these guys and there's a timeline. And it could easily be three, four years before you're talking about them being guys you're really, really confident in having them, you know, out there playing big minutes in a playoff game. Because that's really what we're talking about, right? Is not just guys who are going to be on the roster, guys who are going to be developing, but guys who can help you win. And if the option is, you know, wait to see if those guys can help you win in the next two, three, four seasons, or go out and get someone that you feel with a very high degree of certainty can do it right now and for the next couple of years. 
I think it's a pretty easy choice. It's not about those guys not having a good opportunity or, you know, not being really good prospects. They are. I think you just have to recognize what the timeline is. And that's why it's so easy for me to be comfortable trading the first round pick, right? Because what are the odds that whoever gets selected at 26 this year is going to be an impact player for a playoff team in the next three years? Very low. No, this is not. Very, very low. And this draft class isn't like last year's draft class. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where like there were like real prospects with star potential and relatively quick star p- potential, um, you know, going in the 40s last year. This is different. Yeah. And so that's what it comes down to is just, okay, you can like these prospects as much as you want, but are they are they likely not just to be on the team, to be, but to be real key contributors uh, in this time frame when you still have Quinn Hughes on the cheap deal, when you still have Thatcher Demko? And the other one I'd add is when JT Miller is still productive. And we don't know how long he's going to keep up this level of production or a general level of production, but you have to factor that into your analysis, right? Like, are LeCaramacchi and JT Miller going to be stars simultaneously for the Canucks at any point? They easily could be, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that those timelines will match up at all. It's 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 a tough one, and then obviously hanging over all of this too is the Pedersen uncertainty, right? Yep. Because that that fundamentally alters your calculus, right? If if you are of any concern at all, then it's all then it should be all about this year. Honestly, also it should be all about this year because you're about to recoup one of the biggest bounty of assets mm. we've ever seen in the cap era, right? Like that, your downside is oh well, we're about to get put together the largest trade package we've ever seen. Yeah, and we're going to have a lot of flexibility, and we're going to be able to do a bunch of different things if we want to. Right. So, so uh, go all in this year, and then let the chips fall where they in, may. In some that. ways, in some ways, that pays for itself. Yeah. But, but you know, in in a world where you're not leg- like maybe you have uncertainty, but you're not worried, you don't think a decision's been made. You know, you're fine. Um, then I do think the next three years, like to me. Try and find your Ekholm. Try and find, yeah. and it doesn't have to be a defenseman, right? Like for Edmonton, it was because Ekholm Bouchard gave them this, you know, this mm-hmm. t- this top of the lineup fastball that literally no one in the league can hit, right? But but the Canucks did some found something similar with Ronick, right? Which <laughs> upgraded their uh, top of the lineup fastball and addressed one of their most significant areas of need in in a super dramatic way. The the fact is, is that if you can find that player, maybe it's a forward, maybe it's a winger, like maybe it's a net front guy on the power play. Like, I'm not exactly sure what it is, um, but to me, that's the sort of deal that you should be open to, like really swinging for the fences and, and using your best weapon. I will say complete. another trend around deadline time has been trading for the UFA or even the guy or RFA even sometimes, but then with an eye towards signing them, right? Mm. Like Barbashev sticks around in totally. Vegas. Somebody else mentioned uh, uh, Arturi Lekkinen with Colorado, who they acquired. I, th- I believe he was a rental when they acquired him, but then they signed him after that because he fits so well. Uh, Gavrikov in LA. So that's an interesting option as well. That's a strike against Lindholm and Gensel because I don't really see any way of making those guys work. Like I, As much as I like Lindholm as a player, I have no interest in signing his next contract. Zero interest in being the Lindholm? team that, signed, no, yeah, you don't that signs be... his next contract. So uh, you have to, I honestly think the Lindholm thing is a classic for me. Like, because he played with Kachuk and Gaudreau, we think he has he's a, a shine. St- as, he has yeah. this star yeah. level shine. And I just, you know, I really don't think that's who we're talking about. I really think we're talking about like a, 
like a lower end Bo Horvat. And I think that's a, like a really important thing to pound the table on. By the way, somebody texted in really early in the show before we even got on this saying uh, every major trade splash Jim Rutherford made in Pittsburgh was for a guy with term. He lists some, uh, or at least who was an RFA. He lists Kessel, uh, Jason Zucker when he acquired him, Nick Bukestad had term left, Jared McCann was an RFA, Carl Hagelin uh, had four years left on his deal. So an interesting bit of uh, context there. This is something Jim Rutherford has done yep. in the past, is target those guys you know, in their 20s, mid to late 20s with term still on their deal. But he's also done the rentals. Yeah. Like, uh, like the D- Doug Waite was a pure rental, right? So, I mean, yes, in Pittsburgh, they tended to take a little bit of a longer view, but his big deadline buys, you know, he he's done the rental stuff too, right? So, you he, know, Rutherford is that kind of, he's had such a long career where it's like, you can point to a lot of different trades of all types that Jim Rutherford has done. He's done it all many times over as an executive in the league. I, I, I like the offer sheet at Fedorov one. That's my favorite. That's one. a pretty good one. That's an incredible thing. Oh yeah. By the way, that was me. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, all right. We will wrap up the show there. Are we going to do the, a trade, uh, trade idea kick around with, uh, with books tomorrow? Should we do it? Should we wait? Oh yeah. Let's think? wait. Let's wait. Okay. It's before the all-star break. That no. might be good. Um, it might be good bye week content. Yeah, it might be good bye week content or or closer to the deadline. But no, we're going to okay. do a whole show, man, about how all your trade proposals <laughs> suck, and here's why. <laughs> all right, a whole show. But we got it. We can't wait too long because they could make a big trade. That's true. So I, mean, I think bye week. They made the Bo Horvat trade a week today. Yeah, last year. So I, I think this might be a bye week uh, thing. Yeah, we okay. Do as we're, I'm, as I'm we're, open to that. As we desperately strive for content in the bye week. Oh, yeah. So uh, you and I never have anything to talk about. <laughs> we will be back tomorrow on a Canucks game day. Thanks for listening. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650. Like, I was wrong. It's fine. <laughs>